Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. Something you can also do to try if you have succeeded is turn off CSS in your browser. Um, it might not look super pretty, but it provides you with the basic structure to see um, if it actually makes sense what you have set up there in your little HTML. Women Who Code Talks Tech is a segment that features experts in a specific field of technology sharing their knowledge on an in-depth and highly technical subject. These talks are designed to both introduce advanced subjects and provide insight into the work being done in these fields. Hi, everybody, and welcome to my talk. My name is Josephine. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I will be talking about web accessibility and ways in which you can get started today if you want to um and like rachel already said if you have any questions there's going to be plenty of time afterwards but feel free to put them in the chat um this is for you right so uh i don't want to be talking to myself <laughs> the entire time um so just before we get started i want to quickly introduce myself and how i got into web accessibility in the first place so um, I originally studied languages a long time ago. I worked a bit in online marketing. Um, it's a long story, but I got fired. I wanted a different job and I signed up for one of these programming boot camps. And um, soon after got my first job as a front-end developer and worked there in a digital agency. And so right after I started my first job, um, we had uh, for our client, we had to implement web accessibility because they were in a market where it's actually legally required to fulfill certain standards. And it was quite daunting because it was a really large code base, many different stakeholders, and we had really short time to get things right. And it was actually, I was very surprised by this, um, but it was a new topic, not only for me, I mean, I was new to everything, but also for very experienced developers actually. Um, and so I was hooked because I felt like this could have a positive impact maybe for a community of people. And um, yeah, I just kind of <laughs> got hooked, so to say, love at first sight. Um, and these days, I don't work at the agency anymore. I work as a developer relations engineer at Storyblock. Storyblock is a headless CMS. It's a fully remote company. And um, yeah, I mean, we're if anybody of you is looking for a job, we're always hiring. Um, so feel free to check that out or just ping me if you have any questions. But that's more than enough about me. And we can dive right into our topic uh, for today. So I'm gonna provide a little bit of theoretical background, if you will, for some context so we have some common ground. And then we'll dive into a bit more practical things and have a look at some tools that you can use to make your website more accessible. So what is web accessibility and why is it important? Um, web accessibility basically means that websites, tools, and technologies are designed and implemented in a way so that people with disabilities can use them and participate equally on the web. And it's also a basic human right as defined by United Nations. And um, I guess in this round, not so much, but sometimes when I used to talk about accessibility in a more commercial setting or in the agency, we had people really doubting like, oh no, this is not for me. 
why would I care about web accessibility? And actually, um, there are some really good reasons to do so, um, also really big numbers. So um, there was a report by the World uh, Health Organization on disability, and they have found that over 15% of the population experiences some form of disability uh, over the course of their life. So globally, that's over a billion people. And of course, it's really difficult to measure global data and also the experience of um, disability. But even if it's just a ballpark, in my opinion, it's a really powerful one. And um, so it's going to get even larger because as a society, we are growing older, our needs change. And so I'm hoping that even the people who look at this from a business perspective are going to be convinced by the sheer amount of people and their the spending power behind them, right? This is always a good argument if you need to convince your boss to invest in web accessibility. And if that's not enough to convince people, um, we have many different user groups that benefit from web accessibility that go beyond people with disabilities, actually. So here in the table, you can see um, different kinds of disabilities or impairments like physical, auditory, cognitive, neurological, or speech or visual disabilities. But it also benefits people without disabilities. So think um, of using the internet through a smaller device, like a smart TV or a smart watch, or maybe even your mobile phone. I already mentioned the older people, and that's going to affect all of us at some point for sure. Um, and then in this table, you um, can also see temporary disabilities, such as, for example, if you have broken your arm or lost your glasses, um, that's going to at least temporarily hinder you. Um, they also mention here situational limitations. So these are things, for example, if you're out in bright sunlight and you can't really see what's going on on your screen, or maybe you have a slow internet connection and the images don't load properly, or you're in an environment where you can't turn up the sound and you really heavily rely on captions. Um, so all of these situations, some of which we have probably all been in, um, are really cases in which web accessibility is super beneficial. So. In practice, that has many different uh, faces, so to say. So it could mean providing enough color contrast, um, being open to different input methods, providing semantic HTML to give some context to, for example, assistive technology, um, compatibility with different platforms, transcripts, um, and also explaining unfamiliar terms. So not necessarily assuming that everybody has the same base knowledge. And speaking of unfamiliar terms, <laughs> um, in web accessibility, there are a couple of terms that get thrown around uh, quite regularly, and I want to get some of them out of the way so everybody knows what's meant by them. So we have the A11Y, um, the 11 stands for the 11 letters between the A and the Y. I think sometimes it's pronounced L-I as well, I'm not sure. Um, but this is just short for accessibility. And then we have the WCAG. So that's the, that's a mouthful. That's the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. So they this is a shared international standard for the different levels of accessibility. 
So you see there the AAA, um, this is the most inclusive um, standard of accessibility, and then you have A and AA. So this is kind of like building up in terms of how accessible it is. Um, and these guidelines have a set of documentation. They provide a lot of background info on how to fulfill these rules, basically, so that you can stick to like one shared standard. And all this was created by the WAI, so the Web Accessibility Initiative. They're kind of, um, well, they have come up with this, basically. And this is a good place to come back to if you're deciding to implement web accessibility. Those are the instances that are going to provide the most reliable information. Now, if I have convinced you that it's important, <laughs> we can get started <clears throat> and um, try to see, OK, what can we actually do? Um, I'm going to mention some tools. Uh, there are many other great ones out there. I don't have an affiliation with them. It's just personal preference. Let's dive in. The first thing I want to talk about is semantic HTML. So um, here we're kind of laying the foundation for all the other things, web accessibility, really. Semantic HTML means nothing else that the HTML elements that we're using are used for their given purpose. Um, and that sounds a bit um, abstract, maybe. But basically, every um, element has their own meaning, right? So the H1 is the main headline. It includes the most important information. Um, an A tag shows you that it's a link. And UL, for example, is an unordered list. And so there are many more, very many, continuously being surprised. Um, and if we use them the way that they were actually intended, we give the page structure. And um, rather than just presenting the content in a pretty way, right? So of course we can do this with CSS or JavaScript to make it look and function the way we want to, um, but there are many other good reasons to use semantic HTML. So the structure that I was talking about that's desperately needed by the screen readers because they perceive the page a little bit differently um, than people who would just look at it <laughs> and see. And um, so some of these elements, they come with basic default styles and inherent functionality, like, for example, um, built-in keyboard accessibility. So you have a button element, for example, and that is inherently clickable. It has a focus and it has a standard look that you can identify. And of course, you can overwrite it um, and make it look better. <laughs> you could argue. Um, but these inherent functionalities are something that you would else have to build in manually. Um, and it's going to save you a lot of time and effort. And it's going to function just out of the box like you want it to. Um, it could also be things like um, different cursor styles. So if you uh, disable an element, for example, sometimes you have these like grayed out or you can't click this. Uh, these are also things that come inherently um, with the HTML. And then apart from accessibility reasons, it's going to help you structure the code. It makes it easier to maintain and understand. And it's going to increase uh, SEO and performance. Um, because the search engine crawlers, they actually work a lot like the screen readers, right? So they are going to favor highly structured pages that highlight the important content, uh, just like screen readers will. Um, and there are a couple of things that you can do. So you can return to your code um, with semantics in mind and think about, okay, so is there a more precise element that I could use 
um, for the purpose that I am intending here. So for example, um, check the difference between an article and an aside, for example, make sure that you include all tags, um, include the correct input type or add labels, for example, all things that come with the HTML that, but we have to use them for sure. And um, for example, if you have an input type number, that's gonna open up on mobile already the number pad, right? So that's gonna be great user experience if you set that up correctly. It's gonna make it easier for everybody and it's gonna make it more accessible. And um, something you can also do to try if you have succeeded is turn off CSS in your browser. Um, it might not look super pretty, but it provides you with the basic structure to see um, if it actually makes sense what you have set up there in your little HTML. Um, so I actually want to switch the, you should be able to see a blue screen right now. Right? Yeah, it worked. Okay, I see some nodding, that's great. Um, so there are two things I wanna do. First, I wanted to show you this really fun game that I found. I'm not gonna play because I'm gonna get very embarrassed. But here you can check, um, it's this uh, code pen by Paul. And here you can check your knowledge of the HTML tag. So it could be a fun challenge to see how many um, you actually know, because there are, is it 135? I don't want to say anything wrong. There are a lot and a lot more than we think. So I'm going to share that later on in the chat because it's quite fun to try. And then I wanted to show you, so if we're on the Women Who Code website, I'm just going to open up our dev tools here. And of course you could go through any given page and check, okay, so is the most important um, content really NH1, for example, because that's when it, what's gonna get communicated to the screen reader. How about the buttons? Is the button an actual button or is it a link? And what does that tell a screen reader? Um, all of these things you can check. Uh, you can check if there are maybe multiple main elements or is the nav an actual nav element? I have a feeling there is enough, but I can't select it manually. Um, so, uh, but you can go through all these things and just check, right? We, we keep wrapping these things for styling reasons and divs. Um, but what's going to come across to the screen reader. And you can also, like I just mentioned, I actually installed this little plugin to be able to turn off my CSS. I think it's called Web Developer Tools or something. Um, and I can disable all styles. And then you see the rough structure of what happened here, right? So I can see all the different links from the navigation. Then I see my uh, my headline and the subheadline, and it actually kind of makes sense. It doesn't look as pretty as it did before, but you get an idea of what is the important information. So this is kind of a um, cool tool to uh, play around with if um, you want to investigate that a bit further. All right. Um, we can move on to the next big topic, color contrast. This super important uh, when it comes to accessibility. It's actually one of the number one issues that have been found in many audits. And um, it's basically the difference between the perceived luminance and the, or the brightness of the background and the foreground, right? So if I have um, my text, it should of course be perceivable against the background. And in order to do that, I need a sufficient ratio of brightness. 
And um, you see there the middle one, that's the one that we need to fulfill double A standard of accessibility. So that's kind of the gold standard, if you will. And um, you see the black writing on white background has, for example, uh, 21 to 1. So that's like the most you can get, I guess. And this minimum has been uh, decided on by the WCAG. And um, high contrast is going to help people with visual impairments. And um, you want to watch out for like too flashy uh, colors. So um, this is a bit difficult for people with reading disabilities if it's like too bright. Um, but it depends a bit on your audience what kind of specifications you want to check for. But generally, the 4.5 is the minimum uh, to comply with the AA standard. We can actually also check that in the browser. So I'm going to hop back over to um, the Women Who Code website. And I, I have a tool for everything. I have a tool to check the colors as well. So um, I have here my color contrast checker. I can use this little um, thing here to check the background color. And then the foreground color is probably already correct, isn't it? I can select that. And you see here, um, we have a score of 9.3. So I am passing all the different levels, the really good score. And this way I can check my different colors to make sure everything is accessible. It also depends a bit on the size, um, but generally you could check this way. We could also check for the button, for example. And here the writing is, whoa, this is always my biggest challenge to, what did I do? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, to be able to, find the right color, but I think this should be it, right? Is this white? We can try again. There we go. Yeah, and this one we're also passing, right? So we have a score of 5.1. It's not as high as the one that we had before, but it's definitely sufficient for what we want to achieve, um, I'm guessing. So this is um, a good idea to really roughly check. There's also, um, I didn't actually need that slide. I'm going to go back and show you another tool. I got so many tools today. So there is also another really cool tool to check um, how different kind of user groups perceive your content. So it's called the Web Disability Simulator. And you can uh, select a simulation. So I could, for example, go for total color blindness. And then I'm going to see what the website looks like if everything is still perceivable. Uh, I can learn more here or find some links, or I can go back and check for, for example, green, blue color blindness. This didn't change too much, apparently. And there's also things like really bright sunlight. You're going to see it's really difficult to see the images, but the main message still uh, still comes across, right? So um, it's always, I mean, this is not 100% accurate, and that's what we have the color contrast checkers for. Um, but it's an interesting tool to play around with different abilities and see how different groups kind of perceive um, your website. And um, yeah, so there are also some other, um, how do you say, other disabilities that they show, like, for example, uh, if you have motor issues or ADHD, for example, and it's worth just giving it a try and seeing what else is out there, thinking outside of the box, basically. Um, 
And the last topic that I want to cover today is keyboard accessibility. So um, it's really important that you'll be able to reach all the elements that you can reach with a mouse also via keyboard, especially the interactive elements, right? Um, so like, for example, a button, I need to be able to, to get there. And then not only need to get there, I also need to be able to get away, actually. So this is like a very common issue that we trap people who are using the keyboard. Uh, we trap their focus and then they're not able to get out. Um, this happens a lot if you're working with modals, for example, that open up over the entire page and then you're kind of stuck and can't really get out. Um, so you want to make sure you have all the functionality by keyboard that you would have otherwise and that the focus is visible. So um, I need to see which element is currently selected when I tap through a page. And um, it needs to be also actually have enough color contrast again. So this is full circle now. Um, and what helps there as well is using semantic HTML, because this is going to provide you with a focus style, for example. And uh, we can actually move over to the browser again. I'm gonna close this up and we can see what happens if I tab here. I'm moving, oh, so I'm clicking the tab key now. I'm moving with my tab, but I can't see where it's going. Um, and again, you might've guessed it, there is a tool. So I have this tool called Tab Ally and I can run that over my page. It's gonna visualize where we're tabbing to see if the tab order is kind of like the flow in which you would also read it. And this looks really, really good. So basically we wanna, I mean, it's in English, so we wanna go from the top to the bottom and from the left to the right generally. And this looks really good. So you can also see, okay, what kind of element is this maybe? And am I reaching all the things that I wanna go to? So all the, all the links, all the buttons um, and in the right order. So this looks really good. Um, and this way you can visualize it. And I've also heard really good things about the Firefox accessibility tools, uh, who, which also have like this kind of visualization. I haven't tried it, but it was recommended to me. If you're a Firefox person, <laughs> uh, that might be worth checking out. Um, it can also be a really good challenge to see if you can navigate your favorite page or your if you're working on a on a website as a product. If you can navigate that with your keyboard, maybe just for half an hour, if you can get around, can get all the things done that you want to do and see if it makes sense. Because um, it's good practice to, to see how other people <laughs> experience our, our products, right? Um, and yeah, that was basically already everything from my side. So I really hope it was a bit helpful to you. And um, it's just important in the case of web accessibility can sometimes feel a bit daunting maybe to get started because it feels overwhelming. But in the end, 10% is already so much better than nothing. It's an ongoing process and every small step counts. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash Women Who Code. Thanks again for listening. And remember, 
to subscribe, rate, and comment.